Creative Sandbox Way Podcast, Episode 193. Creative Sandbox Way. Creative Sandbox Way. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, and I believe that life is too short not to express the innate creativity inside of you. So I wrote a book called The Creative Sandbox Way, based around 10 guideposts that I developed to get myself out of creative stuck and back to the sense of playful creativity that I naturally had when I was a four-year-old. That book was just the tip of the iceberg. I continue the conversation with this podcast. Let's jump in. How do you stand up for yourself without being a total jerk? That is a question that a lot of us struggle with, especially women, especially those of us who have been programmed to be nice, right? Boundaries. Is it possible to set limits to draw boundaries without being a jerk? That's what this week's guest Amy E. Smith really specializes in. And I introduce her in the very beginning of our conversation, and I talk all about how we met. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Amy E. Smith. I hope you enjoy it. Amy E. Smith is a certified confidence coach, masterful speaker, and personal empowerment expert. Founder of thejoyjunkie.com. I totally love that domain name. Amy uses her roles as coach, writer, podcaster, and speaker to move individuals to a place of radical personal empowerment and self-love. With acute focus on helping people find their voice, she is highly sought after for her uncommon style of irreverence, wisdom, and humor, which you will get to hear very soon, and has been a featured expert on Fox 5 San Diego and YourTango.com. And I'm so delighted to get to have Amy here. Welcome, Amy. Yay! I'm so thrilled to hang out with you and talk to your community and talk about some shit that matters, right? Like, <laughs> how, do we, how do we speak up? How do we establish boundaries? All of that stuff. So Yes, exactly. Well, that's why you're here. We met in a creative live studio audience with then Tara Gentili, now Tara McMullen, a few years back. And um, I think in 2015. Was it that long? Yeah, I think it was, might've been that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so funny when you said, I didn't know if you would remember me because you are the most unforgettable person. (laughs) Oh, you're so lovely. Thank you for saying that. Well, it's so true. And everybody should go to your website, thejoyjunkie.com. Particularly, I don't know how many people in my audience are actually business owners, you know, trying to create a brand. But if you are, definitely check out Amy's website because if you're interested in branding, boy, Amy, you really know how to brand. Oh, (laughs) I, I have actually shared your website in communities as this is an example of good branding of putting out like you are so clear in your messaging of I am attracting these types of people 
And I am like putting up, uh, Michael Port talks about putting up in his book, um, what's it called? I'm thinking of his speaking book, which is still the show, but his first oh. best-selling book. Oh, now it's slipping my mind, but it will, it will come to me. He talks about the concept of a red velvet, red velvet rope and how you oh. want to attract specific people and keep other people out Yeah, by sure. your, your messaging and your branding. Right. And you do that so clearly. Oh, Every, you. everything you say and all the pictures that you use are like, no, these are the type of women that I want. Yeah. And if you don't like what I'm putting out there, then I am not the right person for you. And exactly. best of luck to you. It's beautiful. yeah. Well, it's so interesting, even just what, what we're going to dig into today, how much that is, is such a metaphor for even the work that I talk about. You know, I, I always felt very strongly that I cannot be telling people to be their authentic self, you know, coach speak for just be yourself and speak up for the things that you find offensive or your time, your energy. I couldn't do those things if I was still masquerading being what I thought would be a quote professional life coach or speaker, (laughs) you know, like it would, it would just not be congruent. And what's the kind of the beauty of all of that, that not just in my business, but also in my personal life, like I just don't have assholes around me at all anymore because my bullshit tolerance is just like way down, you know, because I value myself so highly, but then I also attract people into my life, friendships, business colleagues, uh, people at the gym, all sorts of people in my life who are, who are also that way because you stand in that place where you're so firm that this is who I am and I'm not going to waver. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it wasn't always that way. (laughs) That's what I wanted to talk to you about actually, because I know one of your big messages is around establishing boundaries and moving from being people pleasing to loving yourself and finding your own voice. So clearly like, you know, you, you teach what you need to learn, right? So what's your story around that? Oh gosh, so many, so many lessons along the way. But I, I think probably the pivotal moment happened for me in probably around 07. I, a little bit of context, I grew up in a very, very conservative born again, Christian family. And I mean, to an extreme where my, it, now in retrospect, I do feel like there was a, quite a few elements that were ra- rather cultish, even in the scholastic environment I was a part of. And, you know, my father had a master's in divinity, a doctorate in ministry. Like it wasn't, he wasn't messing around. <laughs> and, and he was a really beautiful, incredible human. However, I feel like sort of the environment that I was immersed in and grew up in was motivated highly from guilt and fear and a lot of all or nothing thinking. So I had really conditioned myself, even as I I grew up and became an adult, to acquiesce to whatever I thought would fit the mold of what my parents deemed appropriate. And so what that meant is prepping my husband. I've been with my husband for 21 years, so he's seen me through this trajectory. We, When we first would go to, to my parents' house, I would always say, okay, don't don't no cussing. Please don't ask if there's any alcohol. Don't talk about gay rights. Don't talk about John Stewart. Don't talk about South Park. Like anything that I could think about that would be a controversial issue. And so I wore a mask for many years and not so much in the sense that I wasn't 
being who I was in my regular life, I just would twist and contort and through my silence, allow, allow me to come across as a liar with, with my parents in particular. And that really came to a head in, in 07 and my father passed away and I, all right. So my, my background prior to getting involved in personal development, I was a makeup artist for a decade. And so I knew with conviction that I would be doing the mortuary makeup for my father, for on my deceased father, for his viewing. Wow. So that was heavy. So the day of the service, I perform his makeup. I do his makeup on my dead father. And I speak, a you know, I perform one of the eulogies at his service to a crowd of hundreds because he was an incredible human and touched so many lives. So here I am in the middle of a a very polarized position where I don't have the same ideologies as everybody I'm around. So, but I'm dealing with it all day. People praying with me, telling me Bible verses and all these things that I don't subscribe to. And, but I don't chastise for them to have that belief. So after the tumult of this entire day, I get back to my mom's house And she feels it the most opportune time to say, it feels like we failed as parents. Whoa. Because you and your brothers aren't, quote, walking with the Lord. And so I kind of, I had to take a step back and just, you know, again, another piece of context, I have two younger brothers who both didn't finish school, which whatever, but you know, I'm not a huge proponent for academia here in the States, but uh, didn't, didn't, it both did jail time. I was working since I was 14, got married, put myself through college on my own. And by a lot of standards would be kind of the good kid, right? Like, and not to mention that I just did my father's makeup for his funeral and spoke to all these. So it, it, it felt really unfair to lump me into sort of this problematic category because simply because I didn't share the same faith. So the the only thing that I could muster kind of in that moment was, uh, you probably shouldn't say that to a child. And she said, well, that's just how I feel. And that really was the impetus for me to realize that not always, but sometimes it really becomes, am I going to choose you or am I going to choose me? And if push comes to shove, I choose me. And that was when I realized, oh my gosh, I can continue masquerading or I can start to stand in my own personal truth. And that began to shift things for me. And I'll tell you, right after that, I went through a phase where I was extremely combative and I just wanted to fight. And I wanted to talk about all of the topics that, that were scary. And I was very acrimonious and biting. And it wasn't until many, many moons later that I realized, oh, you can actually speak up for yourself. You can actually establish a boundary and do it kindly. And so now there's sort of this concept in my community around speak your truth, but do it with grace and kindness. So finding that hybrid of assertiveness and kindness, because we have this narrative that if we speak up, we're being a bitch or we're malicious were ill-intended. So that is a lot of the work that I do is untangling 
first of all, the belief that your voice doesn't matter, you know, all the fears yeah. and that internal element. And then the external piece of what does that actually sound like to say, please stop inviting me to church or to uh, tell your in-laws to butt out of your marriage. Like what, what are those actual skills and tools? So that's kind of, that's how it's, that's how it all started was with wow. that very real uh, devastating chapter. What a story, man. <laughs> it's so interesting to me. I mean, this is such important work that you're doing because so many of us are programmed from such an early age to not speak up for ourselves, okay. to not, and, and without realizing it, you know, I mean, it wasn't until I was well into my, probably into my forties, at least into my late thirties that I re- realized that I didn't know how to set limits. Yeah. I mean, I had, I, I mean, there were, there were certain places where I knew how to set limits, but vast areas of my life that I did not know how to set limits. And for me, the training ground was really when I started dating Yeah. after I got divorced, when I suddenly realized, oh my freaking God, yep. I never learned how to set limits and I have to do it fast. I have to learn yeah. fast because I'm dating and I'm getting to know lots of guys and if I don't figure it out soon, I'm going to get in trouble. So, that's right. I would, and I and I would go out and go on a date and like find myself making out with a guy, you know, like walking down the street, and we'd be like standing up against the wall, and he'd be kissing me, and I'd be like, "Do I even want this to happen?" Right. Do and I couldn't tell because my hormones wanted it to happen, but did I want it to happen? I could not tell. I would be out of my body. Right. And so when I would be at home, I would set up a plan for, mm-hmm. you know, that evening, like, what is my plan for tonight? Yep. And, and, and I set a rule for myself when in doubt, the answer is no, mm-hmm. Good. Doubt, the answer is no. And I, and so that I could always, and I like, I would have to repeat that to myself, like That's a right. mantra. It had to become a mantra because otherwise my hormones would take over. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I'd be like, wait, what the hell just happened? Yeah. So it was so fascinating. Dating became like the hugest self-growth experience for me because I had to learn how to set limits. And like, you know what? Yeah, he might feel a little bad that I say, no, thank you. I don't want you to kiss me goodnight. No, yeah. I don't want a second date, whatever. But too bad because mm-hmm. like you said, it's a choice between you or me and my whole life, because I'm female, I right. programmed that you are more important. Your feelings are more important than my feelings. And you know what? Screw right. that. Yes. I, I am now t- taking a stand and saying, no, my feelings are most important. Absolutely. Well, and I, I love that you brought this up because this is most people's scenario. This is most people's situation, particularly women, right? Because, and we have all these names for it. We say, don't rock the boat. Don't open a can of worms. Uh, just sweep it under the rug. Or you could never tell that to him. That would destroy him. Or you can't say that to somebody who's in your family. Blood is thicker than water. Like We have all of these things and concepts that we buy into that equate exactly what you said, 
everybody else's wants, opinions, and needs are more important than mine. That's the subconscious message that we send to ourselves every time we make our boss more important or our spouse more important. And I'm not saying that there aren't priorities and there aren't people in our lives that we genuinely want to give to. What I'm saying is we're not signing up for a lifetime of servitude and to be a fucking doormat. That is a recipe for disaster. In fact, I'm sure you've seen uh, the top five regrets of the dying by Brony Ware. She, for those of you who haven't heard about her, she wrote a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying that originally was a blog post, but she was a hospice nurse and helped people transition essentially from this life into the next. And by and large, she looked at what were the common regrets that people had despite race, age, sex, all of that stuff. And overwhelmingly, the number one regret was, I wish I would have lived a life according to what I wanted instead of the life others expected of me. That was the number one. I mean, death is the great equalizer. doesn't matter who you are. That will show you very clearly, did I live a life making sure mom approved of me or my kids approved of me or my boss or the latest collaboration thinks I'm a genius artist or we twist and conform to these ideas that everybody else's uh, approval or validity must equate our self-worth instead of going internal. But just like you said, where the hell would we learn this? We're taught achieve. We're taught don't speak up. You'll be like a man. You'll be too abrasive and society doesn't like that. Or, you know, we're taught all of these really conflicting narratives that we, we get ourselves typically 30s, 40s, and, and sometimes beyond going, who the hell am I? Right? I checked off the boxes. I, I did that amazing art exhibition and I've, I got my MFA and I got this and I have this incredible marriage. And why am I not happy? Right? Because the happiness is not in making everybody else happy. It's, <laughs> it's truly in finding what that is for you. And that doesn't mean you're going to start behaving out of malice or that you're going to be a dick all of a sudden. It actually just means you're powerful and that you value you as much as somebody else. And most of the time, it's not an ultimatum. Most of the time, I mean, what both of us have shared, it really is like, it's either you or it's me. A lot of times there's room for collaboration and to just simply be vocal and to express what's happening for you in a really kind way. But again, like I said, where the hell would we know that? Where would we learn that? Right. Anybody listening, like, please give yourself compassion. This took me well over a decade to master and I still have hiccups. So, you know, and I, I was given a lot of really great privilege and tools to be able to get there. So again, please be, be gentle with your journey in this regard and know that any baby step is truly a step in the right direction. Yeah. Like you said, we're not taught this. And actually we're, what we're taught is this really like this opposite, like this lie that if you do set a limit, draw a line in the sand or, you know, stand up for yourself in any way that some, that, you know, that you're a bitch, that there's something wrong with you, that you're awful, that you're, you know, that you're hurting other people in some way or, you know, right. It, it, it twists it all around. And so it makes it very hard to take that step and set limits because it just, it gets very confusing very fast. It does. And I think what you're talking about here is this idea that we are really truly responsible for what other people feel. Yes. And I, I feel as though it's important that we understand our impact and how other people may be impacted by us, but it's very 
very important that we understand that no matter what we do, we cannot make somebody else feel something. So when we get caught up in this idea that I could never do that because that would hurt him or that would hurt her, we're taking on the responsibility for their happiness. So one of the things that I love to talk about, it's sort of a mantra that I have created is you are responsible for your intention, not your reception. Yeah, so true. if it's your intention to be a dick, if it's your intention to hurt, then yeah, you should probably feel bad about that. You are ill-intended. But if you are, let's say, uh, declining an invite to something you genuinely don't want to do, and and your your concept is, let me make up a lie because just my own time isn't valuable enough to give voice about, then you're again going, okay, I'm responsible for how this is being received. You're not. You're only responsible for how you're showing up, how you're delivering things. So I'll give you, I'll give you a sort of an example in my own life. Right around the time of the election in 2016, I did a uh, a political podcast specifically about kind of getting along across the aisle. Essentially, you know, how do we navigate holidays now that some people are going to be on very different sides of the table? And the whole message was was truly about understanding each other, listening to one another, those sorts of things. So, uh, and it was called the joy junkies guide to dealing with the Trump presidency. And so there were some people who listened to that and said, Oh my gosh, thank God, Amy. Oh my gosh. I had no idea how I was going to navigate Thanksgiving. And I was freaking out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then there were other people who were like, you lost a listener. I can't believe you would do so just vitriolic. Right. And then it was very clear to me that that they felt that way simply from the title and actually hadn't listened to it. So of course I said, well, I would be really honored if you'd entertain the idea of actually listening to it. I that's, you know, my intention was one of unity. And then there was other people who just, they didn't catch it. You know, they're like, oh, indifferent, not don't follow politics, whatever. So in that situation, I have this multitude of reception. Now there is literally no way that I could have put myself out there and made all of those various people happy. So I had to, again, go back to a new barometer of success, not weighted in what everybody else thinks, but weighted in, am I proud of the woman that I was? So I went back and I listened to my podcast and I went, you know what? I would do it all exactly the same. Amy checks off on this and and I kind of said, okay, I'm going to release with love. So whatever anybody thinks about that is I'm going to allow them to carry that. Uh, because as far as I'm concerned, my side of the road is clean. And too often we don't do that. We're still weighted in the reception. Like, oh my gosh, you have to love me. You have to approve of me or else I'm not valuable because that's what we're taught again too. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I was thinking about is (laughs) putting limits on my time. So this, this became really clear to me a number of years ago when I basically put a moratorium on my volunteer time. Yes. And uh, I got a phone call from somebody at one of my calligraphy guilds who was looking for volunteers to help make greeting cards for um, some organization that greeting cards that go to the elderly or something like that. It was a, you know, really lovely cause. And I said, uh, you know, it was 2012 because I was about I was going to be leading a creativity retreat in Istanbul a few months down the road. So I said, oh, that's a really lovely idea. 
I'm going to decline. Uh, I, I'm on, I've given myself a moratorium on taking new volunteer. Yep. You know, whatever, something. And, and the woman actually tried to guilt trip me. Yeah. And she said, I can't remember what she said, but she said, well, this isn't going to take that much time. I mean, how much time is to, you know, she like was trying to get information from me. Like, what are you doing? It's taking up so much of your time. You can't do this kind of a thing. And I mean, it's none of her business. Right. And, and I was like, oh, well, I thought, well, I'll share with her some of the things that I have going on. So I said, well, I'm leading this retreat. It's going to Istanbul and Mm -hmm. that's not for a few months down the road. You know, I was like, it's really none of her business. I was so, I was so irritated and I didn't, I didn't take it on because it's my choice. It's my choice how I spend my time. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to spend my time to volunteer, that's not the thing that I would choose to do. That's it's just not for whatever reason. It's just not, I, there are other things that I would choose to do if I were going to be volunteering to do something. I was so pissed that this, like, what, what do you, who do you think you are to argue (laughs) with me about whether or not I'm going (laughs) to, so it was, but it was at a time, you know, you know how, when you set a limit, the universe throws things at you to test. Are like, are you sure? Are Are you you sure, sure? Melissa? Are you sure? (laughs) It always happens. Always happens. I just decided recently that I was, I I, so I used to make my living as an artist from selling right. my art, doing art on commission. And I don't do that anymore. I don't make art for other people. I make art for me. And if other people want to buy that art, that's that's wonderful. That's lovely. But I don't spend a lot of time. I don't spend any time marketing my art. And I don't I do not do commissions at all anymore. Yeah. But I, I do do uh, visual visual recording, visual communication as part of my consultancy. That's a tool that I, that I okay. offer as part of my, you know, consulting work. And so I was playing around with, do I, is this something that I want to offer in various ways? And, and people were coming to me and asking if I could visually capture, like sketch note their businesses. But what that turned, started to turn into was basically them asking me to do graphic design, oh. which basically wants me to gouge my eyeballs out with a spoon. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I was toying with, do I want to do this? Do I not want to do this? Do I, do right. I, do I not? And I came down very clearly from my, the physical reactions that I was getting when people were asking me, no, I really do not. But the universe was like, are you sure? Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Because it sent me three people in the span of a week asking me for specific jobs. I want yeah. to pay you money to do this. I want to pay you money to do that. Again, the universe asking right. me, you set a limit, Melissa. Are you sure? Right. And so then I had to go back to these people, each of whom was a friend of mine mm-hmm. and say, and, you know, put up a boundary and right. that was really hard. But you know, what's really interesting when you learn how to set a boundary and clear, you know, Brene Brown just came out with a new book, Dare to Lead, which I have not yet read, oh, yet, yes. mm-hmm. but she talks a lot. I've been seeing her posts on, on um, LinkedIn and she talks a lot about clarity and how clarity is good. And instead yeah. of being vague about, well, I don't know, if you just right. set it out there and say, basically what I did, I set it out there. And I said, no, I don't do this anymore. I do X, but I don't do Y. Uh-huh. I put it out there very clearly. And people really totally understood. They got uh-huh. it. Yeah. 
They yeah. Didn't, they didn't tell me, oh, you're such a bitch. <laughs> right. You're, I, I love to always say you're only being a bitch if you're actually being a bitch. Declining an invite, saying no, speaking up for yourself, telling somebody that something was offensive. That's not bitchy. That's assertive, you know, and then you get to decide the tonality. You can have a bitchy tonality or you can have a really kind and, and lovely, loving tonality, you know? So I think we need to kind of destroy that narrative, but I love what you brought up specifically around the, the guilt trips, right? So your first example was a self in, or a, a externally imposed guilt where mm-hmm. somebody else was trying to throw this at you. The second one was more of a self-imposed or internal guilt. And so the first situation, I have sort of a, a metaphor that I use all the time where I think about, okay, if somebody were to bring to you a, a literal, and not how the millennials use literal, like a, a real literal <laughs> style of shit and said, here, hold on to all of this shit for me, like manure in like, would you be like, sure, I I wouldn't, I'm going to let you manage that. (laughs) And that's what happens when people try to put their emotions on you in that very real sense of what was happening for you, where she was going, what you have going on doesn't matter. Uh, Here's how you need to feel. Here's what you need to do for me. And then you were at a very real position of, am I going to accept that? Or am I not? And so I have another little saying kind of in my community where we say, oh, I'm currently not accepting any piles of shit. (laughs) And that could be sort of an internal mantra for you. And now I notice that instantly when somebody tries to inflict guilt and I realize, oh, okay, I've actually not done anything wrong according to Amy. And that's very important because I feel like guilt is a misnomer. Yes. Guilt is, is really designed to reroute poor behavior, something yeah. that is unbefitting of you. So if I've you know keyed somebody's car, I should feel guilty about that. I have done something wrong according to Amy. That is not okay at all. So I would need to go clean up that mess. However, m- many times in our life, we allow guilt, like the situation with your friends, the commission work, where if you were to step back and look at Melissa's, well, like what you have done, what you have said, by choosing not to take on those that work, have you done anything wrong according to you? No, of course no. not. You haven't delivered the information in a, a malicious way. You haven't been bitey. You haven't been snobby or snarky to these people that are your friends. Mm-hmm. You've done nothing wrong. Therefore, guilt is not the correct emotion. So that's another thing that I would offer to people is... You only get to say, I feel bad or I feel guilty if you've actually done something wrong according to you. Right. So what you can say, however, is I feel concern. I feel empathy. I feel compassion for somebody else. Or even I just feel uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable that I want one thing and my friend wants this commissioned piece of art. But it's, it's a misnomer to say, I feel guilty. Yeah. We need to switch that. And you know, that's a semantics thing, but it's incredibly important because then we get locked into a, more of that sense of responsibility for other people's happiness. Totally. Yeah, guilt is a sensation for when you are actually culpable of wrongdoing. Right. Yes. 
And in in those situations, I wasn't culpable of any wrongdoing. And you are so right that so often what people are feeling is false guilt. It's discomfort for sure, but it's not technically guilt. And yet we label it that way. And that's, that's really messing us up. It is. It really is. And, and again, it's one of those things that how would we ever know that? You know, when, when do we ever really experience that? And the reason why I really underline the point of according to me is because in the first example, that woman who asked you to come volunteer, she might think you are doing something wrong according to her. That's why it's important to look at your own measurement of have I done anything wrong according to me? My, my mom and I have, as I've mentioned, extremely different religious views. So she has asked me multiple times to come to different church services that I actually find highly offensive because if I invited her to, uh, something related to astrology or, you know, a seance or something like that, that would be wildly offensive to her. And I just want that mutual respect. So I have said, listen, I know it's not your intention to come across in an offensive way. And And I certainly want to respect your beliefs, but it feels as though you're not hearing me when you continue to invite me. So I'm going to politely decline. And I would also like to ask that you refrain from asking me in the future, just out of respect. And so being really clear with that boundary of what that was, that wasn't mean, that wasn't rude. Does it, is it hurtful for her? I'm sure. I'm sure. And I can have compassion for her in that regard, but that doesn't mean I'm responsible for her happiness. She is. And so I've often said, if she's going to carry the burden of my soul, I'm going to allow that to be hers because I certainly, I'm just not concerned about my soul's well-being because <laughs> um, I feel like we're chilling. We're doing a really good job. But again, if I was looking at, have I done anything wrong according to my mom? Yeah, for sure. Yes. I mean, look at anyone who's ever come out of the closet to opposition or to opposing family members. Are you doing something wrong? According to a lot of people, yes. That's why we can't use other people's opinions as that barometer of success. We have to go internal. But like you mentioned, sometimes it takes a while to even figure out what that is. Yeah. Because we've been told so many different things for so long that you really have to do that internal work and you have to make your checklist before you go out on a date to go, wait a minute, what does Melissa want? Regardless of what is projected my way. You know, so I loved that it's like you had a script to say to your mom in that particular scenario. So how, if somebody is listening to this and they're thinking, oh my God, that's so, that was so brilliant. What Amy just said, how do I go about coming up with something similar for my particular situation? Well, there's a couple of little like communication hacks that people could try on. One of my favorites, if you are going into a conversation where you need to establish a boundary, like let's say you, uh, your in-laws are always feeding your children foods that you don't want them to consume, high fructose corn syrup or gluten or anything like that. And they just make you wrong and they think you're hippy dippy and they just ignore you every time you want to let them know that's not going to be acceptable. And they write you off and you know, you need to have sort of like a sit down conversation what I will tell people to do is start with a column on the left. You divide up a piece of paper into three columns. The column on the left, you start with all of the things that you want to give voice to, the things that you want to say. 
Then in the middle column, go through every possible foreseeable response that you could forecast. So maybe they'd be super receptive. Maybe they'll be biting and, you know, make fun of you. Maybe they'll be indifferent. Maybe they'll be apathetic. Every single thing that you can forecast. And then in the third column, how would you respond to any of those messages? That way you've kind of gotten yourself a little geared up about how I want to attack this situation. A couple of other things that you want to keep in mind. If it is just like a simple invite, like the volunteer situation, will you volunteer? One of my favorite things, and I say it all the time, is thank you so much for thinking of me. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to decline. I truly hope you can understand. And those are the words that I use over and over and over again. If somebody, if I can buy time and somebody's asking something of me, and I say, I will usually try to say something like, let me look at my schedule, or if, if I'm not sure, right? Let me look at my schedule. How soon do you need to know? Let me get back to you on that. When can I circle back? Anything that just doesn't make you say yes right away. <laughs> and then if they say something that's a sense of urgency, like, no, I need an answer now. I'm like kind of up a creek. Again, their responsibility, not yours. I will then say, you know what? If you need an answer right now, I would hate to leave you high and dry. So I'm going to just take my name out of the hat or I'm going to politely decline. All of that is really lovely and kind. It's not, you know, mean. If you're going into a really challenging conversation that's not just a saying no, but rather a tough combo like I was talking about with in-laws, feeding your children food you don't want them to eat. A couple of things that are incredibly important. One, you have to do it in a time when you are not emotionally charged. So you cannot pick up the phone and try to do this right when little Johnny came home telling you that he mowed down on some gluten today. That's not the time (laughs) to call them. You have to be in a tranquil, emotional state where you can deliver the information in a way that you will be proud of yourself. So that piece is huge. Watch where you're at. And one of the easiest things to do with that is just to ask for the time to talk with that person. You know, like, hey, I'd really love to run some stuff by you. I wouldn't say we need to talk. I would say, <laughs> I'd like to run some stuff by you. I would love to get your thoughts on something. I would, I want to kind of share with you a little something, something like that. When would be a good time? I can call you tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. And then a couple of other ways once you actually get into the conversation is to start off, first of all, with gratitude. If there's anything that you can say, so in that scenario, I just wanted to start by thanking you so much for watching the kids. I don't know if we thank you enough for that, whatever it is. Anything that you can express gratitude. If it's an invite, thank you so much for thinking of me. I so appreciate that. At this time, I'm not taking any more commissions or whatever it is. Another great little hack is using intention. And you can use that in what your intention is or what their intention is or is not. So it would sound like this. Listen, I assume it is not your intention to get us all worked up and frustrated about what the kids are eating. And I'm sure it's not your intention to offend us, but I really want to explain to you how that lands over here. When we've explained multiple times that these are the things that we want the kids to eat, and then it's blatantly ignored, I'm sure that just has to do with it doesn't make sense to you and you don't get it. I don't know. But where it lands for us is that you really don't respect or care how we want the children to consume food. 
And, you know, and so that's how you would use intention, or you can state what your intention is. Please know my intention is not to create all this family discourse or to make things awkward. It really is truly to take care of the health of the kids, something like that, where you can start off in what psychologists call a soft startup, where you're not starting off going, this is no longer tolerable, where you're actually easing in. And you're doing that for a very specific reason, because it's far more likely that you'll get what you want. It's far more likely that that person will listen to you if you approach it in that fashion. So those are a couple of like just little snippet, you know, communication hacks that might be helpful for people going into tough combos. That's fantastic. So helpful. I love it. Wow. God. There's lots. Brilliant. (laughs) Well, where can people find you, Amy? Well, the sort of the hub of everything that I do is over on my website at thejoyjunkie.com and junkie is uh, K-I-E. And, but as far as social media platforms, I'm everywhere as at the joy junkie and I spend most of my time on Instagram. So I do like little mini blogs on there uh, with a lot of this kind of stuff, you know, we're entering into the holiday season. This tends to be one of the most stressful times because of this because how do I express uh, dietary restraints even um, like that? I'm not going to eat that because I don't believe in eating meat or, you know, it's all this stuff that we, you know, don't believe that our voice matters enough. So yeah, I'd be honored if anyone came and hung out with me. I have a, I do a weekly podcast as well with my husband who likes to say he's the voice of the people. <laughs> so he makes sure I don't get too life coachy woo woo jargony. And, uh, but it's, it's a lot of the stuff we've talked about today, just very applicable, real world, step-by-step processes to establishing boundaries or speaking up or relinquishing the hold of perfectionism or people pleasing. So, yeah. Very cool. I love that you do a podcast with your husband. That's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's been, we've been doing it for over five years, it's been about five and a half years now. And it really was, you know, I started off seeing that most people's models were with guests and I loved Jillian Michaels model where she delivered most of the content, but then there was always somebody else in the studio bouncing off ideas, but she was the main, you know, bestower of wisdom, if you will. So I'm looking around my household and there's only one other person, which is, <laughs> so I'm like, who can be my, my sidekick? You can be my sidekick, babe. So he's, and now, I mean, I did a small stint where I had guests and the entire community was like, we want Mr. Smith back. (laughs) (laughs) So I've stuck with that ever since. That's great. I love it. So did you bring something cool to share? Ooh, yes. And I didn't even realize that it has a total communication parallel. I love when that works out. There is an app that you can get for Android or for or iPhone. And I believe you can use it on your computer as well. It's called Voxer with a V like, uh, V as in Victor, but you know, not boxer, like I'm going to box you. (laughs) Um, it's called Voxer and it's essentially like a walkie talkie app. You can create groups. Like you can have small, like my mastermind will talk on there. Uh, I talk to all my clients that way. A lot of my colleagues and friends I talk to that way. And you can send video or you can send pictures or you can do gifts or you can do, you can actually speed people up. And then that's great because I can tend to be quite verbose. So you can speed people up two, three times fast. 
it just has a lot of great ability to help people communicate, especially in this kind of digital world, you know? So I love it. I can't live without it. I'm, my assistants are on there. It's the only way I get anything done. <laughs> awesome. That's perfect. I don't think anybody has shared Voxer before. I, I haven't used it much lately, but I do have it on my phone and I have used it a lot in the past. So I'm so glad you shared it. What a fantastic something cool. Thank you. Yes. Oh, good. I'm glad it met the criteria. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. And my something cool this week is a, a web and mobile app called YNAB. You, it stands for You Need a Budget that you can find at, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. It's YNAB.com. And I have shared it in the past, but I'm sharing it again because they have updated it. And it used to be that you had to input all of your expenses by hand. So, yeah. So, and, and they would say that this is really good because it keeps you on track of all of your finances and everything like that. But, oh man, I would, I was always so behind on, (laughs) on reconciling everything because it was just such a pain. So they have since updated it and now it's all cloud-based. So it hooks up to all of your checking and savings and credit cards and all of that. And it just sucks everything in automatically. So now all you have to go do is go in and just, you know, compare everything to your statements and just check. And what's really cool about it is the software is great, but it's the system and it's this whole mindset of if you're familiar with Profit First, the book, yeah, of First, course, very similar to similar. There's a lot of overlap there. Oh, cool. I haven't actually read the entire book, Profit First, but it's a similar concept where the idea is that you're giving every dollar that comes in, you give a job yep. and you sign to uh, essentially like an envelope. And mm-hmm. so you create the the quote unquote envelopes and you assign every dollar that comes in to an envelope. So it's, it is a budget, but it's not like the kind of budgets that you right. think of where like, oh, well, I don't have any money in that, in that bucket, so I can't spend it. No, you get to move the money around however you want to move it around. So if right. you don't have money for clothes this month, well, you can take money out of some other envelope and put it in the clothes envelope, and then you just have less money in that, you know, That's right. whatever the other envelope is. And so it's all very, very flexible, but the, and the idea is that you're spending you're, you're, you're living on last month's income or, you know, two months ago's income or three months ago's income. That's the, you know, that's the goal is that instead of living hand to mouth, you're actually planning ahead so that when tax time time comes, you have plenty of money in your tax envelope because you've been putting that money away month, every month over time. And if I had had YNAB, if it had been around whenever it was 10, 15 years ago or whatever, I never would have gotten into horrible, horrible debt, which I have since long ago paid off. But I was deeply, deeply in debt for many years, which I never would have been if it had been for YNAB. So I am a huge believer and they have free workshops you can take before you even pay a penny for software. And I will put my uh, anybody who has YNAB has an affiliate link. And if you buy through an affiliate, if you end up buying it, if you buy through an affiliate link, you save money. So it's okay. not a huge amount. It's like 10% or something like that. But I'll include my affiliate link and a non-affiliate link if you don't like to use affiliates. So I am such a believer in YNAB. It has 
totally changed my life. So that's my something cool for this week. That's very cool. I, I truly feel like we, I have a very parallel situation with you too. Like massive debt, got out of it, do a very much like an envelope system now. But I've, I was the same way, dug my heels in about budgets. And it has been one of the most liberating things that I've ever done in my financial house. So I'm 100% on board. Yeah. Well, now we, we know what our financial situation is. We see a snapshot of it every time we log in. We can, we know what our situation is. So we're, I don't feel like I'm an ostrich with my head in the sand all the time, which is, oh, makes me feel so much more safe and comfortable now. So, and in control. Yeah. Yes, in control. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's a life changer, game changer. So, well, Amy E. Smith, it has been a total delight having you on the show. And I feel like I learned so much from you. So thank you. Yeah, this has been great. Oh, I have had a blast too. And that means the world to me. And I just, again, I want to underline everybody out there. You know, I speak with a lot of (laughs) enthusiasm. I'm so emphatic about this, but please, please, please be compassionate. If it's just one invite that you decline or, you know, you tell one person to please not say that in your company, like that is a huge step. And this takes fierce courage and bravery because we're, we're bucking a system that is telling us to behave a completely different way. So, um, just thank you for having me. Thank you for everybody tuning in and just excited to see what people do with it. Amen. And thank you. That's it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Amy E. Smith. Let me know if you resonated and connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram. And to dive deeper and to meet other creative, open-hearted, like-minded women from all over the world at every stage of the creative journey, join me in the Creative Sandbox community. Support, encourage, and learn from each other. Find inspiration every day in our online forum, which is not on Facebook, which is totally distracting and would defeat the entire purpose of the community. Instead, it's on a private, mobile-friendly network. And your membership includes my flagship seven-day e-course, Creative Sandbox 101, which is the course that inspired my book, The Creative Sandbox Way, which this podcast is, of course, a continuation of. And as a member, you'll get to participate in the live studio audience whenever I have podcast interviews like this one. And for a limited time, membership is half off at just $10 a month. You can check it out over at creativesandboxcommunity.com. That's creativesandboxcommunity.com. And I would love to welcome you inside. Also, if you would like to connect with me in person, you have two different opportunities. First, you can join me at the next Creative Sandbox Play Day. I host these half-day co-working retreats every month or so to come together with other creatives to get stuff done on your creative projects. You can write or paint or knit or bead, or draw, or collage, or scrapbook, or whatever you want. And if you don't have a creative project, come play with my art supplies. Obviously, you have to be in Silicon Valley in order to 
do this because that's where they happen. The next Creative Sandbox Play Day takes place in Palo Alto, California on Sunday, April 21st from 9.45 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. And it costs just 25 bucks. Quite a deal. All experience levels are welcome and you can just go to creativesandboxplayday.com to sign up. That's creativesandboxplayday.com to sign up. And if you're ready for a deeper dive and you want to spend five days with me, check out Creative Sandbox Retreat. The spring retreat is May 29th through June 2nd. And yes, it is happening. And the late summer slash fall retreat is September 11th through 15th. And there's also a winter retreat that's happening next January 2020. You can see all of them over at creativesandboxretreat.com. And all retreats, all Creative Sandbox retreats are super intimate opportunities to really focus on your art, whatever kind of art you do, in the company of other open-hearted, generous, truly wonderful, playful, really fun human beings. I lead a creative catalyzing session every morning, and we laugh a ton, and it's just really special. There's a bunch of info over at the page on my website, creativesandboxretreat.com. So check it out. And if it feels like your jam, I would love to have you. Just one note, early, early bird pricing for the spring retreat is only good through March 29th. So don't delay. Check it out, creativesandboxretreat.com. And meanwhile, if you are getting value out of this podcast, share it with a friend and hop on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. And if you need help on how to do that, you will find that at melissadinwitty.com slash iTunes dash review. That's melissadinwitty.com slash iTunes hyphen review. And if you email me, let me know you left a review and let me know how the podcast has made a difference in your own life. That is how you can apply to be in the listener spotlight. You can be on the podcast just like Amy E. Smith was. We will have a really fun, really relaxed conversation if I pick you and you'll get to be featured on the podcast. Super duper cool. So that is it. Until next time. Thanks again for joining me. And as always, go get creating. Subscribe at creative sandboxway.com slash podcast.